On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are joined by Peter Diakowski, former CFL football player, former Jeopardy contestant, former Canada's smartest person winner, former political candidate, businessman, father, husband, friend, renaissance man, man of the people with lots of opinions on lots of things. And they're all coming up right now. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good buddy who joins us this evening. We've got lots to talk about. Peter Diakowski, one time, as I said before, one time Hamilton Ticat, long time Hamilton Ticat, very briefly a Toronto Argonaut, and even more briefly, or maybe slightly longer, I don't I can't remember, a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. You must have those Argo and Rough Rider jerseys hanging up in a frame somewhere in a place of honor in your house, right? Scott, in my defense. For all of all of the listeners here, there's a terrible rumor that I was somehow sometime a member of the Toronto Argonauts. That is that is false. However, I was really a reporting error on the uh, the league's transaction wire. It was rectified inside of three months. Uh, I do have a couple of pieces of Rough Riders memorabilia in my office alongside all my tie cat gear because I did spend one very fondly remembered final season playing in the green and white, and I had a great time. It it honestly cured me of a lot of prejudice that I carried, as many CFLers do, against that uh, team spending a year in Regina. You, you mentioned your office, which I assume is at home, or part of your office is at home. Are, are, let me ask you a weird question, and this is going to sound odd, because I think I know the answer, and if I don't know the answer, I think I know what answer you're going to give, lest you cause a major controversy. Do you like your family, Pete? Love them. Okay. I ask you that for this reason. There was a guy in England this week who uh, he he was wanted by police and went and turned himself into the police simply because he said, I cannot stand living in lockdown with my family anymore. I want to be in jail rather than spend one more minute with my family. And I'm thinking, I bet he's not the only one over the last year who has thought, how do I get out of this situation? I think a lot of people may have had moments. Now uh, I haven't. I'm, I, I can't uh, profess anything but uh, absolute contentment with my home life. Although, you know what? You said that I'm looking around myself, and the only family photo I've got in my office is my uh, older daughter's school photo. So apologies to my wife if she's uh, listening in the living room. I don't have any photos of her <laughs> or, our, uh, or our younger girl up, but uh, maybe I can fix that. Well, there's time, and it's just a photo. I mean, we'll find a photo somewhere. But no, I, 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 I saw this. Go ahead. I saw this. You, you reminded me though of something, Scott. Some terrible news that I think might shake a lot of people's faith in, in family and the institution of marriage. America's couple are getting divorced. Yes. Well, I wonder if that's a lockdown-related thing. I mean, they they couldn't stand being together in their four hundred thousand square foot, forty-eight bedroom home. I mean, all that time together really, really affected them. Kanye yeah, West and, and Kim and Kardashian, of course, we're talking about. Former presidential candidate Kanye West. True enough. Yes, yes. He he, he missed by only about 47 million votes. <laughs> or well, something. But the system will do anything to suppress someone trying to speak the truth. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she would have been the most unique first lady, I think. <laughs> most... Well, I was going to say most photogenic. I don't know. Melania was pretty photogenic in her, you know, she's had a career with that. But yes, I think that would have been one of the more interesting uh, situations. And I wonder if Kim Kardashian had Kanye pulled the miracle and won the presidency. I wonder if the divorce would happen or if that would have been enough to keep her alongside of him. Are you suggesting that that could have changed Kim Kardashian's judgment in this? I'm not sure. I think she's probably, you know, she's she's very... uh, keenly attuned to her uh, uh, family needs here. I'm not sure, but uh, it was very sad news, all the same. Sad news and, and very regretful. And I, I wish them all the best. Maybe they'll get back together. I mean, it's, it's, they're always looking for new new episodes for their show, right? So maybe they'll have a reunion. It's devastating. I know most people in Hamilton, I, I've seen as I've driven around the, the, the streets today, the flags are at half-mast. People are wearing black armbands. Uh, the, the, the sales of um, butt implants have gone through the roof for people to console themselves in the Kim Kardashian world. Yes, it, it's it's really a traumatic moment for most of the free world. 
So I so um, Lent started on on Ash Wednesday this uh, this week. So there's Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, Carnival on on uh, on Tuesday and the weekend leading up. And so I gave up uh, my news consumption, bad habit for Lent. I've given up uh, news and my my Twitter scrolling, and yet somehow I still found out about this, probably within <laughs> moments of it being announced. I, I sometime when you were sleeping, I'm convinced that the Kardashians have done this. They had someone sneak in and implant something into our brain so that we're always, how, how else do you have, you know, one hundred or 200 or 500, whatever it is, million followers on social media. If it's not forced upon people, the, the entire world, Pete can't be so sheep-like that we have decided that we must follow the comings and goings of Kim Kardashian and her clan. I, I just, I find it hard to believe we can be that desperate for entertainment. I think it must, like when you install the app on your phone, it must come pre uh like Tom on MySpace, if anyone ever had a MySpace. Yeah, no, that's that, that maybe that's it. They paid a little extra so the Kardashian app downloads. I I feel very proud of myself. I've got to take a break here. I feel very proud of myself that Kim Kardashian, I think, other than her dad. Bob, because I think it was her dad, right? The guy who was O.J. Simpson's buddy who read the alleged O.J. Simpson suicide note way, way, way back in the whole O.J. thing. I think Kim is the only Kardashian I can name, and I take great pride in that. I don't think I can name another one. Uh, Bruce Jenner, but that's not, that's sort of only by extension, or Caitlyn Jenner, I guess. But There's a few, they all start with K's, but I think you're, I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't followed the movie nearly as closely as I I should have. However, I, I had a very, speaking of brief and, and that, uh, and, or non-existent ones, in the case of Toronto Argonauts. I had at least three months with the New Orleans Saints, and at that point, Reggie Bush and Kim were an item. If anyone ah. that far back, did you meet her? I didn't meet her, but she had a very famous film uh, release. Her first acting debut uh, was <laughs> while they were dating, and a lot of guys in the locker room just thought it was fantastic. We, we will take a break and let people ponder that one for a second and remember what kind of acting debut that was. Let's just say wardrobe was not a high-budget item. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Pete, let me ask you this. We are in the middle of weird, weird, weird times. We have been for a year basically now. But there is even more confusion, and it, it comes in this form. There is a report in the Wall Street Journal today by a surgeon, a professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and from the Bloomberg School of Public Health. He argues that when you look at how many people have had COVID, especially in the States, the vaccination programs that are coming in, all this kind of stuff, he's predicting that by April or May, COVID is going to be not gone, but much, much, much more under control and really not nearly the issue, nowhere close to the issue it is now. Today in Canada, we get a graph from Teresa Tam showing that Canada is, if things don't go perfectly, we are looking at a spike of epic proportions where thousands and tens of thousands of people more are going to get it. We have polar opposite views from reputable scientists. How in the world do you know what science to trust or believe at this point? Well, for... You know, a, a lot of people who are consuming news from many different sources, I, I, I can imagine it's tough because you, you see things that are completely, uh, uh, seem completely at odds. Uh, my personal experience, I can tell you that uh, COVID's not pleasant. Um, but there's, uh, I think, uh, comfort in, in uh, at least I felt in, in maybe getting it out of the way, but there was a lot of uh, uncertainty uh, just to, for how bad it could so I, I had it. Um, really? Over, over, over New Year's. Yeah, we had it all in our house, and we, put, we did everything, right? Especially my, my wife is extremely careful. I've masked up. I've taken all of those precautions. We've stayed away from friends and, and large groups, aside from where you, you really need to, and um, still um, wound up uh, with it. Now, you know, our girls, one's in school, one's in daycare, so there's, you know, we, we, we tried to trace it and couldn't really figure out where it had come from. Unfortunately, I don't think we gave it to anybody. We did all the right steps, and we didn't enjoy a family uh, Christmas with the, um, the the in-laws. So I can say it wasn't terribly um, pleasant, but I think we got um, we, we had a pretty easy time with it, though. But you had it personally? You yourself yeah, had it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And what was it? What was what? What happened? What What did you feel I, I, like? I had, to, I, had to, I had to think once I got. We, I took the test because we um, we had reason to to suspect, and I took the test and it was positive. And then I had to think back and and think, oh yeah, so that would have been the the symptoms. But we were already um, uh, isolating, so um, I I didn't have a. T- I don't want to you know make light of it, but I didn't have a terrible uh, time with it. I do. Think you know, based on everything I've heard, there is some seasonality uh, to the sickness. So hopefully, as we get into the spring, uh, even though we we've had uh, much tighter lockdowns in the U.S., so we probably don't have that um, herd immunity, maybe that they're achieving down there with just their massive uh, massive rates. Uh, hopefully, we see a decline too. I know we're a little bit slower up here than down there too with our vaccine rollout. So you know, maybe where where we we were patting ourselves on the back last year as we as we had a much easier time with it in the states. Maybe they'll uh, um, they'll they'll have a quieter summer than us. But hopefully, um, it does prove that there's a a seasonal lull, and we get these vaccines accelerated here in Canada as well, and it uh, it recedes. I think we'll we'll have it with all these new variants. It'll be a persistent issue for a while because there's a lot of investment now in uh, uh, in that whole infrastructure around monitoring and detecting it so we're uh, we're not going to have a variant go unnoticed for quite uh, quite some time but i'm hoping that we can at least kind of get back to normal over this summer and look i think everybody would would want that in the meantime though it is it has become incredibly difficult to know who to trust and normally you would say well trust reliable sources obviously don't just go on to facebook or somewhere and listen to you know, read something from wherever and go, oh, look, another conspiracy theory. But we're talking in this case about two reliable sources, two people who are, you know, scientists who are people who know what they're talking about. And even their views are at odds. It becomes incredibly difficult to have any idea of whose advice or whose suggestions or whose modeling or, or whatever you're supposed to trust. It really becomes so difficult. You also have to, to flip a coin. Well, that's that's not that's not particularly reassuring. I mean, as I say, you you had it. Now, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the worst kind of sickness you could imagine, one being not too bad at all. Where would you grade what you went through? You know what, I um, I have a tough time with that because you know I've been fortunate to not have any really really bad sicknesses, but I've I've had uh, injuries. Uh, that a, oh, yeah, I certainly had had injuries. I would uh, uh, they were much much worse, and I've I've had experiences with the flu that have been um, that have been a lot worse too. But I gather it affects people differently, and it's much more dangerous uh, for older people as well. So uh, you know, I don't want to make light of it, but no, my experience wasn't particularly bad or memorable. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting this evening with Pete Diakowski, former Jeopardy. I was going to say former Jeopardy star. That may be a slight example. Former Jeopardy participant and excellent contestant. I think you, you probably have to be. You probably have to be Ken Jennings before you get the star, right? I got on there. That's 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 a star ahead of me. That's for sure. And, and we've talked about this before. We weren't going to go here, but. I have taken or I've tried the online watching Jeopardy on TV. And I know you've talked about this. I get the answers more often than not, but the online tryout questionnaire to get on Jeopardy is stinking hard. It is way harder than the show. Yeah. I encourage everybody who's a Jeopardy fan, go uh, look it up. You've, you've got to go to the Jeopardy website. They have the information about it. They have the online test every year. I think it's usually in January, unless they, they've changed the course. I, I guess there's a lot changing with Jeopardy now, unfortunately, with uh, uh, Alex uh, Trebek no longer with us. But um, every January, you can you can sign up, take the online test, and see how you do. I encourage everyone to make sure you're well-rested and you're in a very quiet room with no distractions because, as you said, it is not easy. It is really, really hard, really hard. Anyway, we may get back to that in a minute. Uh, I want to move on to this, though. There was a... A foo-for-a, I don't know what other word to use, a controversy, a, a dust-up at Queen's Park this week when uh, the Premier, Doug Ford, said that Andrea Horvath's was, her 
constant complaining for I'm, I'm paraphrasing was like listening to fingernails on a chalkboard. And he was accused of being sexist with that comment. Now I, I gotta be honest, Pete, I, I'm not sure I understand the sexist part. You can take issue with saying a leader of the opposition was annoying that maybe that's not appropriate or whatever. I mean, I've, I've heard male teachers in my school when I was in school with chalk scratch their fingernails and I still get clenched when I hear it. But, and, and then today I read a story that says that the, um, what was it here? The Canadian Broadcast Standards Council ruled that when Brian Burke, who was on TV talking about hockey, said that a team had to put a boot on the other team's throat and have a killer instinct, that that promoted hate and violence and he had to be sanctioned for that. Are, are we, have we reached a point where we are becoming so oversensitive that almost nothing can be said without somebody being offended? Well, you know what? It's amazing. So my news fast uh, couldn't protect me from the Kim Kardashian news, but that um, uh, the Queens Park story that's that's new to me, and uh, I'd say the only criticism you could really make of that comment is it's maybe um, uh, it's obsolete now because all the classrooms have smartboards nowadays. Yep. So you'd have to come up with some modern uh, modern equivalent. But on the Brian Burke comment, I mean, I'm a guy who spent uh, a lot of time in the the locker room contact sports are simulated contact. That's part of the that's part of the draw. They actually replace that uh, role in, in, in our society and uh, the team sports and the allegiance to your your club, your your squad uh, has re- redirected in a very healthy way uh, a lot of man's worst uh, instincts. So you know it's it's only natural to have uh, you know harsh. Uh, Imagery. Um, I've been told to do uh, a lot worse, metaphorically speaking, by by coaches over the years. So maybe I'm uh, not the right person to ask because I'm a little bit jaded. But I've been in a locker room with Nick Saban, so that's that's my background. <laughs> You'd have to say a lot worse than that to make me blush. Well, so the the complaint came in. Now this is a report that I was reading today. The report came in that when he said that the team should put a boot on the other team's throat. Uh, the complainant, and there was one complainant, said that it indirectly referenced the death of George Floyd by the police officer. Now, I, I, I find it, certainly we all saw that video. I find it hard to believe that Brian Burke was thinking of that because it's a commonly used term. You, you put, try and, you know, put your foot on their throat when they're down. It's well, a commonly used terminology in sports. In sport, that's important. I mean, if you let an opponent hang around... Uh, they're, they're they're on the same ice or the same field for you for for a reason. Uh, part of, like part of being good at a, a sport is learning to have that that killer instinct and and to uh, to get those extra extra points in when you're able to because they would do the same thing to you. So I I don't think that Brian Burke was channeling channeling that I, on a on a completely different uh, thread of that of that topic. I found wrestling in grade 11. I did wrestling, high school wrestling out in BC. I thought that was great for helping me develop my killer instinct because, you know, one, I had to fight my way out of pins and, you know, I wasn't undefeated, so I didn't get pinned a couple of times. And there's, there's nothing better to simulate that life or death struggle than wrestling, I think. But then also, in high school heavyweight, you've got some huge mismatches. So I was way bigger than some of the kids, you'd still go after the pin the same sort of way, even if it's not even really a fair matchup. And I thought that was a great education for me because, you know, usually if you had a fair mind of nature, you want it to be a, a fair fight and, and even give yourself a disadvantage, a, handi- a handicap as the golfing term is, uh, to, uh, to, to level the playing field. So, See, now, Pete, um, I, I, I got to say, you've said two things that I know you're not saying them with a malice or you're not saying that, but like, honestly, in our conversation, a killer instinct, somebody could be very offended now by someone referring to a killer instinct and somebody talking about a, a golf or something else to say that you have a handicap. And and, and this gets to oh, my geez. point. No, no, but think about that. I'm going to get exactly letters, and I'm I'm the last person to say something like that. I know that, and this this is exactly my point of where we started from. The intent there has to be intent, right? I like I believe that if you're going to be offended, you have to listen to the intent of the person who's saying what they're saying, and glean whether did that person say something that they intended to be offensive, or is it a turn of phrase or something that they've said? You meant no intention, not nothing malicious or anything. I know that everybody listening could tell that you didn't, 
But this is exactly what I'm getting at, that we seem now to be at a point when it doesn't matter that your intent is clearly benign. I'm going to be offended and I'm going to demand that you be chastised or sanctioned or ripped down or whatever, because you said something that I disagree with. And I find that really, really troubling and really frustrating. And you know, I know exactly where you're coming from. But the glass house full view is that life has become so good and we're so comfortable that if you know, that's the worst thing that's happening to anybody. It, uh, you know, life isn't so bad as uh, you know, many years ago when yeah. uh, there was a struggle daily for, for survival and, and existence. Maybe we all have to have something to struggle against. So a personal sense of offense is the slightest uh, misstatement is uh, a replacement for something that's otherwise missing in our lives nowadays. A great point. Fantastic point. I, I think you're probably right. Nobody wants hardship, but probably a great point. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Pete Diakowski, Canada's smartest person. You win that title once, you get to wear that forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think you probably have business cards that say that, right? To hand out to people now? No, I, I actually have one one particular former teammate, Jeff Hecht, from that memorable Saskatchewan year, who always made a point of reminding me, even though I never brought it up, that it was back in 2012, which is, you know, from <laughs> track nine years ago. But yes, I, much, I can ha- much can happen. Much can happen in nine years. I, I bet you'd still win, though. You know, they should bring it back and have a rematch. You would still win and just really rub it into all those nerds that you were competing against that knew they were going to beat the football player, and no, it didn't happen. Anyway. Well, that was, that, was the, that was the fun of it. Uh, I didn't have any pressure on me because I wasn't supposed to win, and I, I ended up having a, a great night. It was actually, the filming was, it was almost a 17-hour marathon to uh, to tape the entire entire program the finale all the preliminary rounds were were not on the air but yeah certainly happy it turned out the way it uh the way it did i think there were an awful lot of people who competed against you who probably went home feeling great shame they shouldn't have because you're a smart guy but feeling great shame that an offensive lineman from professional football beat them it's not who you would have expected to come out on top you might have but I think for, you know, the physicists and all the rest are like, oh, my goodness, how do I go back to my colleagues at the university? <laughs> well, you know what? It was, it, for, I, in the locker room, you've got to realize, especially at the pro level, every single player is um, a successful student athlete. Aside from the odd guy who comes out of junior football, everyone's a uh, graduate with at least one degree, if not uh, two. And I, I've had... Uh, one memorable teammate, fullback Jeff Piercy, in my career, retired after only a few years, bright future in the CFL, to take a scholarship at Oxford. So, wow. um, they're, they're, really, if you think of what's involved in playing a professional sport, you've got to be relatively intelligent. So you're going to be selecting uh, from an already smart group of college athletes, generally university athletes. So the dumb football players more the exception than the rule and we, we did have a couple every now and again which is always fun but you know old linemen tend to be a smart group in general and you know i should plug um fellow offensive lineman chris van zyle uh, yes the, uh, yes Hamilton tiger cat he is spending tonight sleeping in his car uh for the united way to help raise awareness for homelessness and to raise some money good for him for Anyone listening, go to Chris Van Zyl's Instagram page. That's CVZ54 on Instagram. And he's got a link to a, a page you can donate. He's already raised over 6300 bucks. The guy's going to be awfully cold tonight. I mean, you know, for some, that's their, uh, their, uh, their, um, their reality night. Yeah. So Chris is uh, doing that, and he's a terrific, terrific guy. But I should plug that. That's going on tonight, uh, sleeping in his car, along with a lot of other volunteers uh, for the United Way with that event. Well, and, and one other one that we can point out, which again, goes to your point. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hilarious, well, maybe not hilarious. It's a stereotype that we like to think of the big dumb jock, no matter what sport, whether it's hockey, because I mean, hockey players were always for a long time thought to be dum-dums. It's not the case. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the offensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs, who skipped this year in order because he's a doctor and he was working with COVID. I mean, look, the, the, it is it is an old stereotype. It sticks around, but it is an old stereotype that doesn't really apply these days again, as you say, because 
I think, Pete, and you can correct me here, but I think an awful lot of guys who are in football now, even if they're on scholarship in the States, have come to realize that the number of people who emerge from that level and get to play professional football and make millions of dollars is still very small. So you better have something prepared for when you finish. Oh, absolutely. And the work that the leagues have done, you know, the the CFL, our Players Association, we have our CFLPA Academy, and we have now hundreds of members. Uh, it started out uh, years back, we had maybe a dozen guys participating, and now we've got virtually every single active player in the league uh, participating in one way, shape, or form. Uh, we have a lot of programs for uh, apprenticeships uh, and for helping guys complete degrees. Uh, we have a few partnerships, uh, university partnerships, to help guys finish off the last few credits if they went pro a little early. The NFL has a huge program uh, to help their uh, to help their players, and that attitude at the pro level uh, has, I, I think, really informed the attitudes uh, at the collegiate level in Canada and the in the U.S. of the emphasis on. Uh, the importance of life after your sport, even if you think you're on on a pro track. You know, the best players in university uh, might only get one training camp a few weeks as a pro before it's uh, before it's all over. So there's been a huge shift in, uh, in, in in attitude. And if you think about the traits that it takes to be successful at a high level at a at a sport, you should be able to channel that into academic success and then success in other in other fields and. I think a lot of employers make a point of seeking out uh, former university athletes because yeah, you've already yeah. checked off a lot of boxes. And these days with the way that, and we got to go to a break here, but the way that game plans are drawn up and playbooks are written and stuff that goes on, it's really hard, even if you're not that bright, it's hard even if you're a great athlete because there's so much cerebral stuff now in sports. It's not just the old days when you showed up and, played and let her rip. I mean, it's, it is a way different world and you do have to have something going on between the ears. Absolutely. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Pete, let me ask you this. There's a story in the spectator today that, um, I mean, it's a very upsetting story on its face. It is about the number of kids this, these days that are suffering serious injuries tobogganing now that we've got some snow and that I guess people are wanting to get out of the house because they've been cooped up for so long and hospitals around the city are saying, not only are we seeing a surge, a huge surge in the number of tobogganing injuries, but they are serious injuries, liver lacerations, fractures, dislocations on and on and on needing blood transfusions. It's gross. It's horrible. Anyway. I want to go down the story to one line and ask you about this, because here's a quote from the story. They're going down steep hills with obstacles in the way, like trees and branches, and they're hitting these and getting severe organ damage. Pete, have we created a situation with our kids where we have now created such a bubble wrap parenting situation where we have protected our kids so thoroughly to not allow them to have any risk and therefore not allow them to learn what is dangerous or to have any consequence to behavior because we're always protecting them. Have we created such a situation that kids are now not even recognizing that racing down a hill on a toboggan towards a tree is a bad idea? Because that's what I take from this. You know what? I, I haven't kept current on tobogganing injury statistics. I've got to apologize. I mean, with every sport, there are a lot of you know common sense safety measures uh, that you should take, and um, you know I don't think anyone should be tobogganing down tree-filled hills. But uh, if if there's a a trend of uh, people being more seriously injured doing things that uh, were um, somehow less dangerous in the past, maybe it could be because um, the lure of tobogganing is great. Yeah, but you, you know, like you grew up, Pete, you survived, you made it through your childhood. You probably did some things that you probably got banged. I mean, besides football, you probably got banged up somewhere along the way and your parents didn't rush to your aid and say, well, Pete, you can't do you. There were things that you learned along the way about self-preservation. And I think we take that away a lot of the time with this bubble wrap helicopter parenting and we don't let kids learn. There are consequences if you don't think through what you're doing. 
Well, what I was, uh, what I'm curious is that is if I, again, tobogganing is irresistible, but I, I think it's well documented that kids are spending more and more time on screens, uh, living more sedentary lifestyles than ever before. And there is a tremendous amount of research that shows that juvenile exercise uh, leads to um, bone growth, increased bone density. Huh. Um, and so if you have someone who's spending more time you know, indoors in a seated position than you know, nature ever intended, and then all of a sudden you jump on a, a slick sheet of plastic or a, or a you know, lovely nice uh, wooden toboggan and race down a hill at full speed into a, um, an obstacle, even if it's not a particularly imposing one, maybe there is a greater risk than for a prior generation that grew up a more, uh, a more, act- with a more active lifestyle, um, having you know, a greater variety of, of much more minor uh, injuries and and mishaps. So I'm not sure, I'm, you know, maybe if people are getting hurt less often, and, and we've done a good job of reducing serious um, injuries across society. We're more sensitive to any individual um, instance. Uh, but could there be a, a, a link between uh, less active childhood lifestyles Interesting. and increased yeah. chance for injury? I, I think so. Absolutely. Interesting idea. I hadn't thought of that for sure. Because when I think back now, I'm older than you are for sure. But I think back and I go, you know, when you look at what kids are protected from these days, I do wonder how, and I think a lot of people my age and older have thought this, how did we ever survive? You know, like driving without seatbelts and, and drinking water out of lead hoses and, you know, running around without parental supervision in the neighborhood. And what's that? I said, you had a lead hose? Well, inside, didn't they have lead? They always told us that, you know, but no, but we did stuff that today parents would freak out. You'd get children's aid called if you did half the stuff we did back then. And we all lived. And now it seems that we're so overbearing as parents. We've got, and and if you don't, if you're not overbearing as parents, people scowl at you for letting your kids do crazy stuff. I just look at this and I think, I wonder how many of these kids have never had to make a conscious decision about their own safety and just figure that if mom or dad doesn't tell me I can't do it, it must be okay. As opposed to thinking it through because racing down a hill on a toboggan filled with trees, most normal people would say that's a bad idea. Well, you know what, actually, I think you make, you make a great point there as well. And that's probably the behavioral um, uh, aspect of my physical development theory. You know, physical development is not aided by a sedentary lifestyle. Uh, You know, Behavioral development or, 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 or growth in judgment is in helps by never being uh, exposed to uh, situations where you have to make those decisions. And, you know, potentially starting out in settings where the stakes are lower than on a steep, icy tobogganing hill. But there, yeah. there, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's unfortunate. My policy with, with our girls is to keep them outside as much as possible. Um, and to limit screen time as much as possible. So we, we, we don't have them on iPads. And I know for some people it's, it's tough and they, they feel like they need it. But um, you know, maybe if you've gone with it for too long, it's impossible to get off. But we made sure to never start them on, on iPads. And I think they're, they're better off for it. And, and certainly it, uh, it seems like at least they can take a tumble better than better than some so i think we're doing the right thing but there's a lot of research about um bone uh bone density and uh, uh and and another physical development in little little screen time except for old tie cat highlights and jeopardy reruns with dad on them you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml there is a um, a lawsuit that is brewing down in the States. It involves prof- former professional wrestlers with the WWE, guys like Jimmy Superfly Snuka and um, a bunch of others that people might know. Um, Road Warrior Animal, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, King Kong Bundy, a bunch of others. A number of them have already passed away. But the lawsuit is claiming that WWE failed to protect them from repeated head injuries and therefore they are entitled, they believe, to some sort of compensation. 
this I believe is something I don't want to say near and dear to you. This is certainly not something you're involved with and, and, you know, but we know that in football, similar lawsuits have been filed and there's similar discussion about where does the personal responsibility for this end and where does the corporate business league ownership, whatever responsibility go, where do you stand on this? I mean, do you, do you believe that as a player and we'll use football because that's what you're familiar with. When you stepped on a field, did you know there was a risk you could be injured? And if so, did you absorb or accept that risk? Or were you, or were others surprised that there could have been hidden risks in football? Well, in what we've seen in, in pro football, but all, all pro sports, is initially the leagues have taken a position that there is an assumed uh, that there's an assumed risk and. Um, players, and I'm on the, the board with the CFL Players Association. We've done a lot of work with the CFL to improve player safety, and uh, the CFL is a leader in uh, in reducing um, risk of uh, brain injuries, especially. And the CFLPA has played a big role in that. I don't think we're we're perfect yet. There's always um, is some inherent risk in a contact. Sport, but for a, a player, um, you know, a young, especially a young player, you know, when I started playing in high school, um, I, I don't think I was particularly aware of the risks beyond the fact that they gave us the helmets for a reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, um, it, it, you know, wrestling is the one place where, you know, taking my union hat off. I mean, wrestling, I mean, it's, you know, th- these guys were wrestling back in the day when everyone watching was, um, you know, supposed to assume that it was real now you know everyone's in on it but uh, back then you know half the audience wasn't and it, you know it's not that long ago but um the wrestling took it really seriously uh protecting the uh, the the integrity of the uh of the of the sport in, in that regard so um you know so it's supposed to be the most extreme thing you could possibly do so i don't know maybe there's a bit more uh, there's more assumed risk in something like pro wrestling than in, than in pro football. Uh, let, let me ask you this, Pete, when you were signing up and, and think back to when you were first getting going, you had played high school, you went to LSU, you got to play on a national championship team. I mean, you played at really high levels and now someone puts a contract in front of you to play professional football in the CFL. So if you can think back to that day when you would have been offered that contract, if they had put onto that contract an addendum that said, by the way, when you are 50, you will, you will have life inhibiting injuries, but you accept that risk in order to play professional football and earn a salary. Would you have signed that contract at that age when you were getting started? Is the lure of playing professional every, sports every, enough? Every single 22 and 23 year old uh, is signing that, that contract, which is why we have a players union, which is why we have a players association to uh, to you know try to represent the uh, the best interests of the players as a group. Because individually, you know, you're a high testosterone young man. You're signing anything. You just want to get on the on on the field. And I think there's been a been a, a recognition. We still want football. We want to have football. We want kids to be able to play football, but to play football uh, safely and try to mitigate. Uh, the, the risk as much as they can be. Same with hockey. You know, I think everyone wants kids to still be playing hockey. So I think leagues have got really smart about it. But pro wrestling, so pro wrestling is where maybe the I draw the line and say, listen, you're going for pro wrestling and you're having me believe that this is the most uh, uh, extreme form of combat available. There has got to be some assumed risk in pro wrestling. Well, yeah, I mean, and the question, and I guess the question always, because a lot of these lawsuits are to do with head injuries and concussions and CTE and things that we didn't really know a lot about in the past, but in, in sports, I mean, you, look, you've suffered some, at least one in particular, one gruesome injury with your knee that was, you know, really horrible. And you've talked about it on the show before, what you suffered through to recover from that and what you went through. There is, I think, a very much an assumed risk when you step on a football field that you could blow out your knee or you could break your arm or you could snap fingers or whatever. I mean, let me, before we move on that part, everybody who plays football, when they step on the field understands that stuff can happen, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know that, that's uh, not a surprise it, to anybody. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous. It's a dangerous. Um, it can be a dangerous. I shouldn't say it's a dangerous sport, but it, it, it's a sport, and, and not necessarily actually more dangerous than uh, there are. There's actually a lot of sports out there that you don't even think of that have higher injury rates per um, playing um, per game or per uh, than than football does. But um, I, I, you know, the I, I think the realization is, has come as if there are things that can be easily done, low hanging to reduce the risk of long-term uh, long-term damage to uh, to players uh, brains it's it's common sense to take those those steps you know if you're uh, walking with a limp at an old age you're not much worse off than a lot of other people uh, at the end of a you know a long active life but you don't want to miss out on on being able to be present uh, uh, to be to be present, so uh, I think we're I think we're getting it right in uh, in football and in hockey. Um, but I, you know, I don't know about uh, about seeing the WWF uh, back when it was called the WWF yep. for uh, for for uh, accidents. Or you can't call them accidents on purposes in the yeah. in the ring. <laughs> Well, but there's a, and again, I think there's a difference here because I, I do think that in, and I, you know, we mentioned football cause you played football. So that's why I went there, but look, pick hockey. I mean, we've seen guys in hockey, you step on the ice, you know, you could get your skate caught in a rut. You know, you could get a puck in the mouth in baseball. You know, you can be hit by, you can be hit by a pitch and injured or slide into the base and dislocate your, I mean, every sport there is a, a certain level of understanding that if I set foot within the lines, Something could happen to me. Every sport, at, especially at high level, every sport has an element of risk involved that you could have something happen to you. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a risk of leaving the, uh, the house, well, especially nowadays. Uh, there's yep. a tremendous risk of leaving your house. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and the difference is, I guess, and where we're going with this. There are certain things that we didn't necessarily know about, I think, which is where these lawsuits have come in with football leagues and, and now with the wrestlers, that the question is, should we have known about these things beforehand? A blown out knee, we can see very easily what happens inside your head is more complicated and we're learning more about that than we've ever known before. And now we, we know so much that uh, it cannot possibly ignore it. I think in, in previous eras, decades past, um, it was guessed at, but you didn't have the, uh, the, the, I guess the, the CAT scans and the MRIs to, 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 to really demonstrate it beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. And the game did change. The game did change. So the introduction of hard shell helmets to protect, uh, from broken skulls led to a shift in the way it was played and the increase in, in head hits. And this is in probably both hockey and, um, and football. So uh, the effects of that uh, at an older age will not depend until more recently because we had to see that generation of players uh, get you know start facing some of those problems. Let me ask you, a, this is a question that has been raised before. It always sounds crazy on its face until you dive a little further in, and it's probably still crazy, but you just mentioned the hard shell helmets. Would we have fewer head injuries in football if we went back to the leather helmets or wore no helmets at all, which again, sounds completely antithetical to logic, except you probably wouldn't have guys then tackling the same way, using their head the same way they might protect their head better. We're never going there, but do you believe that we would have fewer injuries if you took helmets off guys? Well, you'd have far fewer subconcussive impacts. The game would be different, but you would have uh, cracked skulls, which are, you know, a thing of the past thanks to the hard shell helmets. And a couple of those uh, are probably a, a lot worse on their own than than a lot of the uh, the subconcussive impacts and the concussions. I think that's uh, at least their their effects are a lot more immediate. There, there is a lot of work, especially at the younger level, to change the way that the game is played and to teach different tackling techniques. Now, in, in the pros, when money and careers are on the line as much as glory in the the game and the score. Um, guys will do what's most effective, but um, you are seeing a change and a change in coaching, and uh, it's 
it's safer now to play than ever. Any parents listening who have any reservations about putting their kids in, in sport, I think now the price of a sedentary lifestyle uh, long-term is far greater than the risk inherent in modern football or hockey. Let me stay with, with athletics for one more thing, but change a little bit here. This is not something that would have affected you, but let's imagine it did for a second. There has We talked about this earlier in the week on the show. There has been a lot of talk recently about whether or not Canada and some other countries should boycott the Beijing Olympics because of China's belligerence on the international stage with a number of things. You didn't play a sport that was an Olympic sport, but let's say for a second that football was. You're a guy who's tuned in to what's going on in the world. You understand politics and all this kind of stuff, and you understand that sports can be used for that or against that. Would you... If you were an athlete who was an Olympic athlete and whose who's, who's four years of training might go down the tubes, would you look at the idea of a boycott and say, oh, under no circumstances, that's crazy? Or would you say, yeah, it's bad, but I also understand what's happening and we can't go and support that kind of thing? Where would you, What would you do with that, Pete? I, you know, at that point, that age, uh, with, with, um, with the Olympic cycle in mind as well, I'd probably be in the same frame, in the same frame of mind as the 22-year-old who's going to sign any contract you put in front of them because he wants to be on the field, uh, and and say, uh, you know, I'd want to play, but um, should we? That's that's a that's a that's a tough question. I mean, it, it, it's impossible to deny uh, some of the uh, terrible things that uh, the Chinese government is uh, is is guilty of. Um, we we're now seeing a, a broad push to take a stand against that and use the use the Olympics. I mean, the, the Olympics have been boycotted uh, quite notably in the in the past. Uh, the U.S. and the the USSR treated boycotts, so I wouldn't be surprised given the scale of uh, uh, some of those uh, some of those uh, transgressions that China is is guilty of. But for the athletes, I'm, I'm sure a lot of athletes just want to play. Yeah, I have no doubt. It, it, this is a, this is a really horrible situation for them. I, you know, uh, one of these days we're going to get someone on who missed out back in 1980 because of the boycott of the Soviet um, games. But it's this is a really, really, really difficult spot because you know we like to believe that our games and our reality, our real things, can be kept separate. But it, it's really hard to keep them separate. It, it, there's a lot of overlap. Oh, well, there, there, there's a reason that governments bid against each other and the Olympics have ballooned into this massive multi-billion dollar event. It's because it's a, it is a national propaganda effort, a national marketing effort. And a, a country like China certainly would like to use the Olympics once again to whitewash um, their record as they become, uh, you know, maybe someday soon the most powerful country in the world. But uh, they are... Uh, um, you know, they, they, they certainly have done some bad and are doing some bad things. And so we'll see if, uh, you know, politicians in our country, I'm, by the way, I'm not a politician. I tried to become one, but people said, no, thank you. Um, so we'll see if, uh, if, if, if we decide that we're going to take a stand in, in the form of uh, um, uh, a boycott of the Olympics. I don't think we would see Canada ever standing alone on something like that. So you'd have to see probably a broader, um, a broader effort and, uh, you know, money talks and the Olympics are, are a big, big business. So uh, it would take a lot, uh, unfortunately, and, and maybe I sound a little bit cynical, but it would take a lot to, to move that uh, nowadays. Uh, oh, I don't think you're cynical, Pete. I don't think you're cynical at all. I think you're very realistic and very, um, you know, it, it is. It, it, the Olympics were big in 1980 when the boycott happened, but as a machine, they are, I mean, it's just a gigantic mechanism you would have to move now. It's all, and especially when, especially for the States because of NBC and the billions of dollars they put in, I mean, they really drive this thing. It's, it's a, it's a really, really complicated thing. If you were going to ever try to do this, it's really difficult to try and untangle yourself and then have an Olympics down the road because then you know that there's going to be repercussions and suddenly probably, probably if there's a boycott, the whole Olympic movement might fall apart. So you got to decide: Are we do we want to kill the whole thing off? 
Well, it's, you know, it's such a big brand. I, I think it could survive one or two. I mean, we just missed the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, and everyone's now got fingers crossed that uh, it doesn't get canceled this summer. Uh, I think, it, you know, if, if there is a disruption, you know, especially, uh, um, uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but uh, with the Winter Olympics, even though that's important for us, um, I, uh, I, I don't think it'll, I don't think we'll really miss a beat a few years down the road. I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll risk the Olympics, but we will risk a lot of athletes' careers. We have a couple more minutes left and I got to ask you this before we go, let's pull back. Cause you were mentioning that you're on the CFLPA. Um, your, do you believe while I have you here, do you believe there will be a CFL season? Yeah. I know Randy Ambrosi today said that he's, the commissioner, he's anticipating a season of some kind. Do you share that optimism that somehow there will be a CFL season this year? I think what we need to do is to declare, uh, you know, come, come what may, we'll find a way to have a season. Look at all of the other leagues that played last year that found ways to play safely. And that's what you, you want to make sure you're playing safely. But so many other leagues, it was so difficult to watch. I was so frustrated when, when our season got canceled to then watch so many other leagues play safely. And there are a lot of people saying that the NFL couldn't pull it off, but I mean, if anyone is going to find a way to the NFL and all the money that they got. And we just watched uh, a Super Bowl this year at Tom Brady's house, Super Bowl for the ages. We didn't, even, we didn't even have our bubble season. We did so much work. We had a uh, safety uh, guide and protocol like own book for this Winnipeg-based um, shortened bubble season last year that never came to be, and it's so frustrating. Uh, and you can uh, blame the blame the league or blame the government, uh, the federal government for not supporting or, or whoever you'd, you'd like to. But at the end of the day, we we didn't play and we should have. We really should have. And if you look at all the leagues that, that that found a way to play, it was good for the leagues, it was good for the fans, for people at home who needed some diversion, some distraction. And it can be done. Uh, and this year, there's no excuse. Uh, so I, I and I and I think it's too important to not miss two seasons, and so I expect the CFL will find a way. Um, to me, it's uh, it's a shame that we uh, that we didn't get to play last season, and I think the loss uh, of not playing is far greater than any cost of finding a way to play that that short bubble season we were anticipating. Yeah. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. That is Pete Dyakowski. If you want to see more of Pete, by the way, go on Twitter and you can see Pete. He is in, he was being involved in helping out with a charity called food for kids in Hamilton. And he guzzled a full liter or liter and a half of borscht that I don't know where he got it. Cause it was called, it was eat a beat to help out. It was a charitable eat effort a beat to beat uh, childhood hunger. And yeah, and and uh, why you had a why you had a thing of borscht in your pantry, I have no idea. But good for you. <laughs> it was uh, hold, hold on, uh, hold on. Why I had an extra thing of borscht <laughs> in my pantry. <laughs> you, you have a a stockpile of borscht just on just in case. Well, it's on the borscht shelf. <laughs> <laughs> well, go watch it. It's um. Uh, Pete is a, uh, he's a good sport and he's a great community citizen. And, uh, there was just another way that Pete Dyakowski was helping out. Listen, love having you on here. Thanks for doing it today. Thanks for taking the time and uh, go spend some time with your family. Thanks Pete. Hey, thank you very much. The Scott Radley show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley show podcast is available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.